to 1 John chapter 5, uh, the first five verses. And if we're going to title the message, we're going to call it the birthmark of a believer. The birthmark of a believer. 1 John chapter 5, uh, find verse 1, where it says, uh, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that believeth, uh, I'm sorry, and, and, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now if I were to ask you if you were sure that you had been born physically, you'd think I was nuts, right? I mean, I'm, you're here, you're breathing, yeah, okay. Uh, yet there are many folks who are not sure whether or not they have been born spiritually. You know, there's uh, certain characteristics of, uh, of those in the same family. Sometimes it's physical similarities. Um, maybe uh, eye color, hair color, uh, maybe frame size, uh, something like that. Sometimes the characteristics aren't so much uh, physical as, as they are seen in your personality. Uh, maybe your kid acts just like you, thinks just like you. Um, in that same manner, if, if you share a spiritual birth, if you've been spiritually born into God's family, you're going to have the characteristics that distinguish you from the world. You're going to have some birthmarks, so to speak. Now, I've got a, I've got a birthmark on my left thigh that, you know, if I squint, it looks a little bit like the state of Texas. Okay, but the older I get, the more I see my dad in the mirror in the morning. Right, that that's what happens. Right, okay. Well, the Bible teaches that that the spiritual birth is definite; uh, that you can know for certain whether you are or are not a child of God. Now, our faith in Christ proves that the conduct we exhibit tells whether we're in the family of God or not. So we are going to look at three birthmarks of a child of God. Verse number one, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, this believeth is... is it's not just a mere intellectual assent to the facts of the incarnation. It's a heart acceptance of all that's implied in this, in the substitutionary death of Jesus being incarnate, uh, sacrificed for sinners, making a way for salvation uh, would, would, on, on which God could bestow mercy on the sinner because of the justice that was satisfied in the death of Christ. It's not merely knowing the facts about Jesus, Jesus. Believeth here is the full surrender to Jesus Christ himself as your Lord and Savior. Now, there are two things stated here. It talks about the love of the Father and then the love of the family. In 1 John 4.19, the Bible says that we love God because he loved us first. Right? He is the great initiator. 
It's natural for a child of God to love God, his heavenly father. The more we know about the father and his love for us, the more we will love him. And we, we come to know him through his word and then through obedience to that word. And then there's, 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 there's love of the family. See, being born again means that you are born into a family. In this case, it is the family of God. See, Christ is the only begotten son by, by generation. We become begotten sons of God by regeneration, by adoption. And it's a natural thing for family members to love one another. This is, this is one of the precious truths about being a believer, about being a Christian, is that the Holy Spirit produces in us love for one another. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 26. It says, whether one member suffer, uh, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Charity, which is love, suffereth long and is kind. It envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. This is the way believers love one another. This is the way love behaves itself towards other members of the family of God. So is this love in you for other believers? other members of the family of God, which you say you belong to. The reason why our brother or sister in Christ is entitled to so much love is because they are born or begotten of God. So that if we want to show our love to God, now get this, if we want to show our love to God, we must show it to God's visible representatives. Your husband your wife, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, fellow Christians. You love them. That is how you demonstrate or show your love to God. Now, whether or not a believer deserves to be loved, they should be the object of your love as a believer in Christ. You do not show them love because they have met your qualifications for it. You show them love because that is how you express your love to your Heavenly Father. The person who loves God as his father also loves God's children because there's a family relationship. So when we, uh, if we're going to prove our love for the Heavenly Father, it's proven by the way we conduct ourselves in relation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Think of Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. That, that jailer had beaten them, chained them into the dungeon, uh, and, and really they would have died from infection most likely if uh, something had not happened. But you know that they prayed, earthquake came, the doors fell off, the jailer was about to kill himself because that was what happened. If you lost your charge, you took their sentence. Uh, but once he came to Christ, once he believed, then he, he brought Paul and Silas out. He washed their stripes. He put a meal before them at the table. He fellowshiped with his family members. See, if you are genuinely, truly born of God, born again, saved, the birthmark of love will be evident in the way you live your life in relation to other believers. That's birthmark number one, is appreciation for God's children. You're a child of God. 
You're going to love other children of God. Birthmark number two, seen in verses two and three. It says, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So we have, number one, appreciation of God's children. Number two, we have the application of God's commandments. Now, when it says in verse two, by this, there at the beginning, it means in this, in verse 1, in being saved and, and loving God and, and loving other believers. Uh, you see, when, when a saint disobeys God's commands, he's acting in a very unloving way towards God and towards his fellow saints. See, two times in this verse we're told that the children of God love him and keep his commandments disobedience is not child of God behavior so we see first that there is a desire to keep God's law you know in the Old Testament they were they were forced to keep the law as a moral responsibility the Pharisees said that they loved the law and they kept it outwardly but there was no joy there was no peace they kept it outside didn't keep it in their heart they did it as a duty Uh, but when you're born into God's family when the Holy Spirit regenerates you then doing God's law becomes a desire because it is love that turns a duty into a desire See, the lover of God says, Psalm 119.32, Oh, how I love thy law. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. That is what happens when somebody meets Christ, when they are born again. Uh, When the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, then then it's not a duty for us. Uh, it, it, It becomes a desire of our heart to obey and not take the Lord's name in vain. When Jesus saves you and you are born into God's family, the duty of the law becomes the deepest desire of our heart because we love him. You know, you you do what the object of your love wishes, right? We talked about that last week. The love of God and the love of the brethren do go together. They cannot be separated. Each is a test for the other. So serving my wife is a joy if I love her. Serving her is a duty and a drudgery if I don't. Verse 2 also says we know. That's the consciousness of of love to God manifested. And and the way it's manifested, there's an enthusiastic keeping of his commandments. There's that desire to keep his commandments. And to keep means to attend to very carefully to take care of, to guard, to observe. And the word speaks in this context of being watchful. Be attentive. Pay attention, it means. You want to guard and and take care of God's commandments so that you don't disobey them. They're important to you to keep. Because the thought built into this is that that there's a concern that, that you might bring dishonor to God. And you might somehow compromise his glory. And your testimony as a believer will be tarnished. It's a jealous safekeeping of his commandments so that they are not violated. 
See, when we love God, we desire to keep God's law. That desire comes first, but the second thing, then what follows after the desire is a delight. There's a difference between desire and delight, right? Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 3, that the Pharisees made religion a burden, right? They burdened the people with all the rule keeping. But Jesus came to teach us that that through this new birth we have in Christ, trusting Christ as our Savior, that it becomes a joy to keep the commandments of God. God's commandments are not designed to rob us of, 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 of happiness. They're not designed to rob us of joy. This love of God, it's, 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 it's the love for God. It's, it's your love for God shown in your keeping his commandments. And this ought to be the motivating factor of us keeping God's word is our love for him. See, John keeps insisting that, that the love for God and love for other people, again, are so closely connected. Uh, usually he's speaking of, of, of love for God as shown in love for other people, but, but here he reverses it. We know that we love the children of God when we love God. It works both ways it's almost like a math equation you know not that i know much about math i'm 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 treading on thin ice here trying to explain math all right but an equation can work forward and backward right both ways that's how you know it's a balanced equation i think that's what they used to call it i don't know what they call it now with the new stuff but um, it works both ways if you love god you love god's people if you love god's people it is because you love god that's how we demonstrate this What's the secret to joyful obedience? Well, first of all, it's no secret, all right? Don't, don't get fooled into thinking that. But, but, but the thing is to recognize that obedience is a family matter. We are serving a loving father, and we're helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's family stuff there. We have been born of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We love God, and we love God's children, and we demonstrate this love by keeping his commandments. Just as a loving son or daughter will happily obey their, 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 their father's commandments, so a Christian, with his perfecting love, will joyfully obey God's commands. Now imagine that a child is given the command not to touch a hot stove. Our parents not trying to take joy away from that kid. Not going to try to make that kid unhappy by, by, by putting yet another thing the kid can't do. The command comes from a loving parent concerned for their child. Now, the commandments of God come from a loving, caring Heavenly Father who knows what the future holds and he's concerned for you. Confidence towards God honesty towards others, joyful obedience are the marks of this perfecting, completing love and the ingredients of what make up a Christian life that is not a drudgery, but a joy. When we desire to keep God's law and then we delight to keep God's law, the result is freedom. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, it says, Then Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Verse 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
See, the world clamors for what they think is liberty. Everybody wants to be free. They want to be loose of all restrictions. They want no constraints on them doing what feels good, but in their pursuit of liberty and freedom, they want to do what they want to do in spite of God's laws. And consequently, they find themselves in bondage to sin, and they find themselves in bondage to shame. A person finds great release and freedom and joy in submitting themselves to the will of God but only as an expression of love to God. And all of those who do not want to be Christians because they want to be free to do whatever, whenever, are to be pitied because they are under the most cruel of taskmasters, which is the sin they think they want to enjoy. You know, this uh, verses 2 and 3, at the end of verse 3, it says that God's commands are not grievous. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is the way that is hard, all right? In obeying God's commands, we're not slaves obeying a master. We are children obeying a father that loves us. A disobedience to God's will is a tragedy, but, but so is reluctant, grudging obedience. God does not want us to disobey him. Right? Don't, don't mistake that. He does not want us to disobey him, but neither does he want us to obey him out of fear or obey him out of necessity. He wants us to obey him because we love him. That word grievous means uh, heavy. It speaks of something that's a burden. It's, it's severe, it's stern, violent, cruel, unsparing. Love for God makes keeping his commandments a delight rather than a burden. And the reason why believers feel any degree of burden in God's commands is because they don't fully realize by faith the privilege they have in their relationship to the Father. Love for God will lighten his commands. When John says that his commands are not burdensome, not, not, not grievous, the thought is not that, 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 that keeping God's commands are necessarily easy. Okay? It's not necessarily easy to obey God. But the thought is that God's commandments are not some tedious burden. They're not busy work to keep you busy and out of trouble. All right? I, I used to teach junior high and high school, and sometimes I would give the kids work to do just to keep them busy. All right? I had to grade papers, and I had to do it right then. So, okay, here's a worksheet. Just stay busy. God doesn't do that with us. Right? When he tells us to do something, there's a reason behind it. Keeping his commands may be difficult, but they can be a delight if we love him. And we can see how sin ruins all of this. When we disobey God, we lose our confidence towards him. And if we don't immediately confess our sins and claim his forgiveness, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, then we have to start pretending in order to, to cover it all up. And we start trying to convey this idea that we're righter with God than we, than we really are. And that disobedience leads to dishonesty. And, 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 and both of them turn our hearts away from God and away from his word. 
So instead of, 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 of praying and reading God's word with joy to discover his will, we, we ignore the word, we, we stop praying, or we read it just out of obligation, or we just pray because we think we'll get in more trouble if we don't. See, love for God produces a joyful obedience to God. So I need to ask you, it's because I have to ask you, is obeying God a joy for you? Is obeying God something you look for? Is it something you delight in? Birthmark number one was appreciation of God's children. Birthmark number two was the application of God's commandments. Number three is in verses four and five. It's the appropriation of God's conquest. Look at verse four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now the reason why God's commandments are not grievous, up in verse 4, they're not burdensome, is that obedience to them enables the saint, able, it enables the Christian, it, it enables you to overcome the world. And that overcome, overcometh means to habitually overcome. It's, it's the norm, it's normal for a believer to overcome the world. See, three times in these two verses, John uses the words overcome. That's to let us know that, okay, first of all, it's a conflict. We're, we're in a battle. There's an unseen war that's raging between the forces of God and the forces of the devil. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about this. We fight three enemies the world, the flesh, and the devil. And John writes these words to inform the children of God, us, that everything necessary for victory has already been given to us. Now that's key to understand. It's already ours. First we see the initial conquest of Christ. You know, man by himself cannot overcome the world. Adam and Eve learned this. They met Satan in their own strength and were conquered horribly. Jesus Christ came into the world. He met Satan head on. Every temptation and trick and trap was thrown at Christ. Uh, finally, Satan curled his last, his last big volley, the last big thing, which was death. But when the dust settled, uh, Satan had done the very worst he could. What do we find? We find an empty tomb. We find a risen Savior. Christ has risen, and victory is ours right now. Another reason why God's commandments are not grievous or burdenful, uh, burdensome or heavy is, 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 is the power that comes with the new birth from the Father through Christ. Every saved person has already overcome the world. You already have beat death through Christ. His faith in Christ, your faith in Christ, by which you have been regenerated, constitutes a victory over the world system and the world system is satanically blinded to the gospel but the holy spirit worked on you convicted you of your sin led you to faith in christ and you became an overcomer you have beat the world already overcometh is a greek word nikao we know it as nike 
right? That's a Greek word for, for victory, is Nike. It means to carry off the victory, to overcome. Victorious. Now, the verb implies a battle. Because if you're going to overcome, or if you're going to be an overcomer, you had to overcome something, right? And in this case, it's a battle with the world. Everything that is opposed to, to the keeping of God's commandments, uh, everything that, that would draw you away from God in this world, including your own corrupted flesh, has been overcome by your faith in Christ. To paraphrase what John wrote here, it says, you Christians do not have to walk around defeated because Jesus Christ has made you victors. He has defeated every enemy and you share his victory. Now, by faith, claim that victory. Then we see the continual conquest of Christ. This means the daily victory to overcome the temptations and anxieties of life. Listen to two verses of scripture here. Romans 8, verse 37. The Apostle Paul makes up a word. You guys laugh at me when I make up words and my brain and and, and mouth are running at different speeds. I have to make up a word because I can't think of it. Paul made up a word here. It doesn't appear outside of scripture in the Greek language. And it's very limited in its appearance in the scriptures. But in Romans 8, 37, he describes us, he says, we are more than conquerors. That more than conquerors, that means super, he made up that word because no other word could fit. The Holy Spirit gave him that word specifically, especially to describe his children. We are super conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The Bible says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you you have the victory as you appropriate the victory that Jesus already gave you. And notice that this this isn't by feelings. Your feelings got nothing to do with this. Doesn't matter how bad a day you're having. Right? It's not by fighting. No, Jesus did all the fighting for you. This is by faith. This is by believing what your Lord and Savior has told you about him and about you. This says, this is the victory that overcometh. It means it has already overcome the world. The victory where, where faith is, is implied as having been already obtained. It's already yours. You already have it. Has overcome means that the decisive victory was won in the past when Jesus died to overcome evil and sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the presence of sin. And in this case, in the individual believer when the believer comes to believe on him. It means that he is constantly overcoming the world. It's the habit of life. It's the normal thing for a saint to gain victory over the world. To go down in defeat is an exception for a believer. Or it had better be an exception. Because we've been given the victory. John says first is conquering and then uh, because the fight's in progress and then it's past tense that conquered because the victory 
the victory is guaranteed. He is not describing a special class of believers. He's not describing somebody super spiritual. He's not describing somebody that's walked with the Lord for decades. No, he's using the word overcomer as a name for the true Christian, a true believer. It is for every true believer. Because we have been born of God, we are right now overcomers. And it says, even our faith, it's our faith in Jesus Christ is shown by our confession, which is in verse 1, and by the way we live our life, which is in verse 2. See, someone has said that, that faith is not so much believing in spite of evidence, but it's faith is, faith is obeying in spite of consequences. Let me kind of paraphrase what Matthew Henry has said here. Faith is the cause of victory. Faith is the means of victory. Faith is the instrument of victory. Faith is the spiritual armor of victory. Faith is the artillery of victory by which we overcome. In and by faith, we cleave to Christ in contempt of and in opposition to the world. Faith works in and by love to God and love to Christ. And so it withdraws us from the love of the world. Faith sanctifies our heart and it purifies it from those sensual lusts by which the world obtains such sway and dominion over souls. Faith receives and derives strength from the object of it, which is the Son of God, for conquering the scowls and the snow jobs of the world. It obtains by gospel promise a right to the indwelling spirit of grace that is greater than he who dwells in the world. It is seen as invisible, uh, it, it it sees an invisible world at hand with which this world is not worthy to be compared and into which it tells the soul in which it resides that it must continually prepare to enter. Our victory is through and because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And let me... Let me wrap this up with a story. There was a poor man down in West Texas in the 30s, in the, in the 1930s, barely able to make a living at a poor sheep farm, kind of south of the Odessa Midland area, and, and we've spent time out that way visiting churches, and there's not a lot out that way. Um, a lot of dirt, a lot of heat, that's, that's about it. This guy's name was E.L. Yates, and, and he was so poor that, that, that he was contemplating bankruptcy, just allowing the bank to repossess his farm, and, and he was constantly worried about how he would pay his bills and, and, and feed his family. But one day a survey crew from an oil company came by and asked permission to drill for oil on his property, and the contract stated that he was to receive every eighth barrel of oil as, as, as payment. Well, they, they drilled a well at 1,115 feet. They hit a gusher. The well produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Well soon followed that produced twice that capacity. 
Even 30 years later, the government survey showed wells in the capacity of 125,000 barrels a day. That area proved to be one of the richest deposits of oil ever found on the North American continent at that time. And Mr. Yates owned it all. When he purchased the land, the oil came with it. So during the years of poverty and doubt and defeat, he was rich and didn't even know it. Years passed before Mr. Yates possessed what he owned, and he enjoyed then the privileges of ownership. And what does that have to do with us? We don't have to wait for some happy accident to enjoy our victory over the world. We don't have to wait for some, some chance drilling into our life to win victory over the flesh or the devil. The victory is a privilege of every believer right now. Right now, you have the privilege to live in victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil right now. It is by faith that we claim what is ours. So let me ask you, I have to ask you, are you living every day in his power? Are you living every day in his victory, the victory you already have? And if not, why in the world not? Claim. Claim what is already yours by your faith in Christ. It's there. You have it already. You have the victory. Jesus wants you to live in that victory and let the world see the birthmarks of whose family you've been adopted into. Why? Why would you sit on a bunch of land, rich beyond your imagination, and not take advantage of it? Well, the only reason you'd do that is because you didn't know it was underground. Now, it's worse for us to sit in defeat, to sit in a lack of joy, to live our life as if coming to church and serving God was a grudgery, a drudgery, a pain, a burden, because unlike Mr. Yates, who didn't know, we know. We know we have victory. We know by faith we have already beat the world. We know that by faith our flesh and the devil are beaten foes. Now for us not to live in that point of victory, why in the world would you do that? Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. In Christ, the victory is yours. Please live in that victory. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we... Uh, come to you and 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 we we know in our heads that we have the victory
your word says it but father it does not always sink into our hearts we do not always live as if we believe it so we walk around like we don't belong to you and we walk around like we're defeated and 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 like the christian life is 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 something for everybody else but it's just not going to be for me because i just can't seem to get a handle on it father please destroy that satanic lie from our head and heart Lord, through our faith in Jesus Christ, you have given us victory. We are your kids. Father, remind us to live like we are children of the King. You are our King. You are our God. You are our Father. And oh, Lord, please work in us. that we live like it, that we enjoy it, and that the world can see it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn book, if you would. 493. four hundred and ninety-three. Sing verse 1. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. I'm not sure I know this song. I'm so sorry. Did I pick it? I think you picked it. I meant the other one. I meant the other one. Well, then we're going to learn this one. All right. Go ahead and play it through, and we'll try it again. Yes. Let's give it a try on verse one. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Ready? Yep. my fault. I apologize for that. I, I thought I had another song in mind, and I do not know this song. So, that's yeah, alright. The Lord knows. He says, make a joyful noise. We made some noise. Alright. And Phil, could you uh, close us in prayer today, please? Lord, it is all to Jesus that we do surrender, and uh, if we don't do that, Lord, we won't have that power to uh, live as the pastor preached on First uh, John chapter 5. 
and uh, Lord, that we would uh, love you first. We love our brothers, and, and we uh, keep your commandments. It's not a burden, because we desire by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be pleasing in your sight. So I pray that that would be the desire of our lives this week, is to uh, be pleasing to you, not in a religious way, but in a personal, intimate, love relationship way. So again, Father, I pray if there's anybody here right now that does not have the certainty, the 100% assurance that if they were to die today that they'd go to heaven, I pray that today they would say an everlasting yes to Jesus. Yes. Today would be their day. Yes. And again, Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we leave, be with us this week, and bring us back next week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please join us for fellowship afterwards, and don't forget the uh, bake sale leftover goodies here. <laughs>